welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Bart Lorang, the co-founder and CEO of Full Contact, a SaaS product that helps you manage your contacts and relationships better. It transforms partial contact information into complete profiles and more useful customer data. Bart came up with the idea for his business when he looked at how well his wife organized her contacts in Outlook, and he started thinking how great it would be if he could use software to enrich his own contact data. He and his co-founders developed a simple tool called Rainmaker that would automatically update your Google contacts with data from social networks. They launched it in Google's Marketplace, and it didn't take too long for them to find the first few customers. And then they did what many of us have done. They had another product idea that they were excited about, so they started working on that instead. And for many months, they pretty much ignored Rainmaker other than fixing a bug or two. After a few months working on that second product, they had another idea for a third product. So they started working on that. Now, basically, they ended up with three products and very little focus on what exactly they were trying to achieve. And then one day, they had a conversation that changed everything. It was when they realized that with all these three products, they were actually trying to solve the same problem, but in different ways. Essentially, they were taking partial contact information and turning it into full contact information. And that's the day that Full Contact was born. Today, their company generates seven figures in monthly recurring revenue, and they've raised over $55 million in funding. It's a great story, and I'm sure you can get a ton of insights from this interview, so I hope you enjoy it. Bart, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. So I like to start by asking my guests what gets them out of bed. Do you have a favorite quote or, in your own words, just what drives or motivates you to work on your business every day? Honestly, I've got two young children, so they get me out of bed. Uh, but uh, no, in, in all seriousness, you know, I, I wake up every, every day. I, I, I believe in helping entrepreneurs. Um, that's really a passion of mine and helping people grow their businesses. And I, I like to, to help people grow their businesses by making their relationships better uh, between themselves and their customers. And that that is a super personal thing for me. I've been an entrepreneur for 30 years. So I understand the value and importance of relationships and in succeeding. And I, I love to impart that that knowledge and that capability onto others. So for people who aren't familiar with Full Contact, can you give us an overview of what does the product do for who, you know, what problem are you guys trying to solve? Full Contact uh, really is about making relationships better. And to do that, we have understood that to have a great relationship with somebody, it starts with trust. And trust uh, really comes from uh, this notion of empathy and understanding somebody. And you know, empathy and understanding actually comes from the insights. And insights are generated at the end of the day by data. Um, and so when you think about you know, modern life and all the relationships we have, we often don't necessarily have context about people that we need to interact successfully so Full Contact brings all this information about people together in one place, uh, keeps all your contacts up to date, enriched, clean, verified, and provides actionable insight for you to be awesome with people. And it, it does that at an individual scale. So you as an individual entrepreneur out there with your 
you know, thousand or five thousand contacts in your in your phone and your your Gmail and your Outlook, or it can do that for a business as that scales up to you know a million records or ten million contact records and the like. But it's really about making sure that you can make your relationships better with the people that matter most to you, which are your customers. So tell me about how that works. So if I am somebody who's thinking about using full contact, let's say as an individual, and I sign up, what happens to kind of start creating this database of contacts on your end? Like, what do you guys do? So uh, you can sign up uh, via the App Store or the Google Play Store or the web. Uh, a number of different ways to do that, but it really you know, gets you started and says, hey, you know, where do your contacts live in your life? Uh, are they on your phone? Are they in your Gmail? Are they in Outlook? Are they on different social networks? Like, where are all the places that you actually have your contacts scattered all about? And then from there, it, it consolidates them all into one place, automatically deduplicates the data, cleans the data up, enhances the data with data that's available on the public web, uh, and then keeps that current continuously. Um, it extracts emails from your, your business cards if you want uh, with a click of a button or extracts contacts from you know your email signatures. Uh, it just brings it all together in one place for you. And then you can install this uh, capability on your iPhone, your Android, you know, as a sidebar in Gmail, you can use it as a web app and have this data synchronized everywhere that you work. And if I'm a business and I'm using full contact, is it kind of like a CRM that I'm kind of using full contact or, or if not, what's different? How is full contact different to using a more traditional CRM? It's very similar to what I described for the individual, but it's for the business. So uh, when a business on boards, what we found is a cloud adopted business has typically about 13 different systems where contact data lives. So you might have, you know, your CRM, but then you have, might have your marketing automation platform, which might be different from your email platform, which might be different from your help desk platform, which might be different from your accounting platform. You get the picture, right? So right. full contact synchronized about 130 different platforms and you can unify all that data across the enterprise into a single master record that is essentially a 360 view of the, of the data and pulls all the data together. So you have a, almost a virtual aggregated 360 view of every individual that matters. Uh, and then you can synchronize that data in a number of different places. So you have a sing, single place of truth for the business. And I, I also noticed that there was, like when I was kind of looking across the the fullcontact.com website, there was also talk about identity resolution. Can you kind of explain like what that means? <laughs> yeah. So um, that's probably the marketing term for what I just described, which is taking all those people, those contact records, and resolving all those various records into a single unified person and identifying who that person is and understanding them. And so, you know, a lay person might call it just contact deduplication, but in the marketing industry, they call identity resolution. Got it. Okay. Okay. So we we've we've got the the plain language version and the the marketing version. So okay, that, that's clear now. Great. Now, I, I want to kind of give people a sense of the the size of the business and where you are currently. You've been running the business for uh, about eight years now. You've raised around fifty five million dollars. You've acquired a number of companies along the way. And then in terms of revenue, although we're not going to talk about specific numbers here, 
you're doing seven figures in MRR. So that's kind of like the state of the business today. But I'd love to kind of go back to 2009, 2010, before you had launched the business and kind of really spend a little bit of time hearing about how did you come up with the idea for this business and then how did you turn that idea into a product uh, business and sort of go and get your first 10, 100 customers? I know it's a while back, you know, you've been running this business for a while, but it would be great just to, you know, maybe just start by telling us, like, where did the idea for Full Contact come from? So that's actually a, a funny story. I had, pr- I had exited my previous company. I was kicking around trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And um, I actually started dating my wife, who, Sarah, who's now my wife. Uh, but we just started dating really early on, right? It's sort of the early stage of the relationship where everything's very exciting and interesting. And uh, I can't remember why I did this, but I, I remember getting a peek at her Outlook contacts. I'm not Again, I'm not sure why I was looking at her Outlook contacts, but I just remember <laughs> being astonished by her Outlook contacts. They were the most amazing Outlook contacts I'd ever seen in my life. They were spectacular. They had a, a photo. They had... Uh, complete data on every in every data field, including spouse name, anniversary date, kids' names, birthdays, detailed notes, fax numbers, you know, home address number, postals, wow. all the things you'd ever imagine. And I, I was shocked by the the quality of Sarah's contact data. She sounds like a very organized person. <laughs> yes, yes, she had a severe case of uh, you know OCD, and she just you know was was just obsessed with keeping the data clean. And I looked at her contacts and I looked at my contacts and, you know, I had uh, about 5,000 just mangled contacts and I was sort of in the process of migrating from, you know, Windows Outlook world to a Mac world with Google, right? And it was just this gnarly mess of a problem. And I remember thinking, I want my contacts to look like that personally as an entrepreneur. That'd be amazing. What could I do with contact data that was that clean? There's so many possibilities. And then I realized that, you know, as a, a serial entrepreneur, I'd started, you know, three companies prior and worked with lots and lots of businesses. Every business I'd ever encountered had that same problem. I said, you know, I want my businesses to have great data like this too, right? What if we, if our contact database was perfect, right? What could we, what could we spend our time on in terms of, uh, you know, communicating with our customers and getting new ones? And then I started thinking about the problem, and I thought, "Wow, this is a deliciously hard data problem." You know, as a as an ex software engineer, I, every time I've done, dealt with contact data as a developer, I realize it's really gnarly and messy and not not very clean. And uh, I thought, "Well, this this problem is really a giant math problem." To say, you know, this person is that person, and deduping records, and I, I started thinking about, well, all the data is kind of out there. Like it's in my email, it's in my social network, it's you know on the web. I can go find it on Google, but like my address book still is is awful. And at that time in the year 2010, you know, the rise of SaaS APIs was like relatively new. You know, pre- the previous 20 years, anytime you wanted to integrate with a business system or a customer's uh, platform, you you had to sort of poke inside the firewall. And integrate with some obnoxious, you know, SAP or Oracle SDK, right? <laughs> Which the good old days, <laughs> right, right? It's like it's like write once, test every everywhere, right? Uh, 
Uh, and, and, you know, I realized with SaaS APIs, you could actually interface with customer platforms, you know, in a relatively smooth way. And so I, th- I thought, that, wow, there's actually like a, a room for a company just to like focus on the contact data for the individual and for the business and just make that data amazing so they can be, you know, awesome with their customers. And that was the genesis of the idea. So, you know, and my, and my wife, of course, like, you know, she just looked at me as I ideated around this, you know, two months in the relationship. And she's like, you're, you're a pretty big nerd, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I am. And she's like, I like that. That's okay. And so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're happily married with two children now. So, you know, she was indeed the inspiration for the company. But what's, what is relevant is that, you know, my wife, Sarah, the reasons her contacts were so pristine was she uh, previously had worked in, in five-star hospitality for 20 years. So I'm talking, you know, Four Seasons Vegas, Four Seasons CC, Bellagio, you know, exclusive resorts. And her relationships with her clients was her livelihood. So she used this data just to kind of be awesome with people and, you know, be emotionally connected with people and remember small details mm-hmm. and send gifts and thoughtful gestures during the course of the relationship. So she had a, so I, I thought, you know what, if everybody could be like her and have this contact data layer, wouldn't it be amazing? Right. And so that, that was how the business started. Um, and so what I did is I crafted a, an application, started coding, uh, called it uh, Rainmaker, and you could hydrate your contacts uh, by buying raindrops. <laughs> uh, you could pay 25 cents a contact record to do this. So it take all your data from your world, your social networks, and populate your Google contacts with this data. And we launched it in the summer of 2010 on the Google Apps Marketplace. I think it was called back then. And, um, you know, it was one of the first uh, sort of apps on Google. So Google basically, you know, was very, very helpful in terms of getting it some publicity. We did a webinar with Google where we were featured. Then a couple weeks later, unbeknownst to us, lifehacker.com featured Rainmaker on the front page of their their website for three straight days. Nice. And that was uh, awesome, but not awesome. It was uh, three sleepless nights where our servers were definitely not ready to handle that load. And we had tens of tens of thousands of signups people wanting to, to buy this thing. Right. And we, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't handle a lot. And, um, but it, it taught us that people actually had the same problem we did in terms of, you know, this problem with their contacts and people were actually willing to swipe, you know, their American express. And the first customer that we didn't know that, you know, paid us $50 to buy, I think it was you know, 400 raindrops. You know, we promptly went to the, the local Mexican joint and spent all the, all the profits on uh, on tacos and margaritas, <laughs> right? And so that, that was just sort of how everything got started. Did you build the product yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, I did with a, a couple other uh, uh, co-founders. And uh, what was the technology you used to build that? I think at that time it was it was a Grail stack. So that was the Java version of uh, of Ruby on Rails, like used Groovy and a Grails framework. And then we had, you know, sort of a MySQL database underpinning it. Uh, we built it all on AWS. Um, a lot more sophistication these days, but that was what we initially went with. I actually found the um, the post on Lifehacker 
It's still up there. Rainmaker <laughs> automatically updates your Google contacts with data from social networks. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and they have some screenshots of the app there as well. I I'll have to go check that out this. <laughs> yeah. So you had this idea, you build an app. Yep. Uh, how do you end up doing a webinar with Google? Well, you know, we were one of the first um, developers to really post a listing in the, the, the Google Apps marketplace. And so at that point, like the developer evangelists were super helpful and they were just doing webinars and uh, tools that could help uh, small businesses, right? And so uh, they thought that ours was really interesting. And so they, they just sort of reached out to us and said, hey, this is cool. Now, I don't think the webinar was gigantic by any means. I think it was like 50 people, but I think one of those 50 people was influential enough to like, you know, get us on Lifehacker. And so you didn't pitch to Lifehacker. It just happened on its own. It just showed up. I, I literally remember it going, uh, I was I was actually creating a, a SQL query at the time to create a daily report of how many users we uh, were receiving, you know, and uh, that would email us every morning. And I remember doing run the SQL query and then, you know, testing it out and running again. And the numbers kept changing and it kept increasing really, really fast. And I was like, what, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? And I was like, I looked at the detail. I'm like, wow, we're getting like a sign up, like three signups a second, guys. And so they were like, what, what, what? And then we had to use the Google Analytics traffic real time to figure out that all these referrals were coming from lifehacker.com. And we had to go check it out. We're like, oh, man, wow. <laughs> Oops. Wow. Right. So we didn't, we, we were not prepared. Wow. And uh, how long did it take for you to get your first customer? Did that, did that sort of happen because of the life hacker? Yeah. The first, the first person we didn't know. Yeah. The first one. <laughs> yeah. That's the most important one. That's right. Hey, they don't even know us personally. They trust us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So you've got a product, you get a quick, early boost from Lifehacker, which exposes a whole bunch of other problems that you weren't expecting to probably deal with that soon in terms of, you know, scaling and, and all of that stuff. Where did you go from there? Well, uh, from there, uh, you know, on top of that immediate success, I think we were at, at lunch one day and I think we were actually eating at uh, sort of a, a local uh, Mediterranean joint and we came up with an idea for an application called uh, Who Sent It. And Who Sent It would basically take those same principles that we had with Rainmaker of creating this full contact record and you know apply it to incoming email. So you know you get an email from some random person, they're emailing sales at acme.com. And <laughs> you want to identify that person, understand really hard and enrich them and have all this intelligence. And we thought it was a brilliant idea. We could apply it to every email distro in the world. And so we promptly stopped working on Rainmaker and we started creating the product who sent it. We created a marketing video. We created a new new application. Uh, so now we're three people without significant revenue and a product that isn't scaling on one hand. And the other side, we're creating who sent it. And uh, of course, right? without any customer feedback, by the way, <laughs> and creating this whole beautiful application for the next two or three months. And so that's what we did then. I'm kind of afraid to ask, like, how did that turn out? It was amazing. We launched this Who Sent It application. We did all this Hoopla and all this fanfare, and I got all these people to like sign up for the beta, whatever, and nobody bought it. Not one single person. We didn't do any customer development before we 
launched the thing. And it was too hard to set up, too confusing, you know, kind of like an interesting thing, but like not that compelling. And we spent all this marketing money, uh, you know, as a bootstrap company, and uh, it totally failed. I want to kind of just stop and talk about that because that's a really interesting kind of thing you went through. And, and I think a lot of us do that where you've got a product, you get it out there, you've got some early interest and, and you know, an unknown person gives you money. And then it almost seems like you got the shiny object syndrome and decided to build something completely different. Well, I'm sure part of it was just what we all, many of us go through, which is you get this idea and it sounds exciting. Let's go and build it and we'll build it and they'll come, et cetera, right? We've all been there. Did you guys have any conversation about, well, should we not do that and continue with, with Rainmaker? And if not, like, what was it about, despite having some early signs of success that you decided not to invest more time there and then with Rainmaker? Yeah, I don't think we had a lot of thoughtful strategic conversation. It was definitely like new shiny thing, new use case of a similar concept, right? It was, it was a completely different use case, but it was the same foundational thing. So we literally like, we're like, this is exciting. Let's go build it. And then in those few months, were you doing anything with Rainmaker or you were just focused on this? We, we were fixing a bug here and there, I suppose. We'd kind of gotten it up to where it was like keeping the lights on, but we were like kind of intimidated by the notion of rebuilding the application for scale. And so I think we were, we were subconsciously shying away from that. And uh, your co-founders, it's um, Travis and Dan. Like, how did you guys get together? So like, you've got this idea for Rainmaker, you started building it. Like there, there clearly wasn't enough revenue coming in, certainly in the early days, to have a self-sustaining business. You were self-funded. So how, how did you guys get together and, and kind of, like, what was the plan? Like, were you doing this as a part-time thing? Did everybody sort of jump in and start working on together full-time? Like, what happened in that first year? Travis and Dan had actually worked with me at a previous company. And so that first year, we sort of... Uh, got together and said, yeah, let's, let's do something. Right. And, you know, total science experiment, trying to figure out how we're going to bootstrap things as plan A. And then plan B was raising capital. And, uh, obviously we went down the raising capital route. Okay. So you spent a few months on who sent it and the product ships and nobody wants to buy it. And then at what point did you did you guys decide to, to go back to Rainmaker? What we realized, well, what, what we were doing was well, we needed an API for both of these things, right? So we did something, I think, kind of smart in this process for once, is I wrote a set of API docs and published it on our website. It was like literally rainmaker.cc slash API. And by the way, we had a .cc domain, which is pretty sketchy. <laughs> Love this. So it's like it's like we. I just wrote like a WordPress page. It's like rainmaker.cc slash API. We I used like SendGrid's like email campaign tool to send like an email to all of our users that had signed up for Rainmaker and said, "Hey, do you want an API for Rainmaker? Check it out." 
And if you want early access, click this button, uh, hear the docs, and tell us what you're going to use it for, and we'll give you early access. And so that literally all I had was a JSON doc that was totally fake and phony. We hadn't built the API. We hadn't written one line of code. And so I was like, okay, let's just test and see if people want this thing. And, you know, when we emailed out the list, we got hundreds and hundreds of responses saying, yes, I would love an API for this. Please, please, please. And here's what I'll use it for. And even people volunteering their how much they pay without prompting. <laughs> and all these different use cases. And we're like, wait a second. It seems like this user base really actually also wants an API for their own purposes. And we said, foundationally, the API is really the thing here that would power the Rainmaker application, take a partial contact, turn into full contact, and then who sent it, take a partial full contact coming into the email, turning it into full contact, right? So an API is really the primitive here. And so let's go build that. <laughs> and, you know, during that process, uh, we decided to, you know, go build an API. <laughs> so now we had Rainmaker, who sent it, and Rainmaker API. So three yeah. products. At least this time you had some some validation, I guess, that sending that email out and getting some feedback there was a promising sign. That's right. So we built essentially two applications on a kludge together platform, and we're going to formalize the platform and open that up to third-party development. <laughs> and, that, and so we, we got down that path, and I remember we went to some angel investment pitch forum in Boulder, uh, Colorado, and it was, it was put on by the fo- folks at Techstars, uh, you know, uh, David Cohen and uh, Nicole Galeros. And, uh, you know, it was a five-minute five minute blitz pitch. And, you know, I got up there and I think I, I pitched the three products. And I think it simply confused everybody, right? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? You have know, three products. Now, as entrepreneurs, as bootstrapping, you know, entrepreneurs, we thought that that pitch is awesome because we're demonstrating how awesome of a team we are that we could have three products, right? <laughs> like with a team of like three and like the more products is better. And we're like, this is going to be amazing. We're going to go up there and show them like, yeah, we, we know how to build things. Well, it turns out the opposite is true. Like, wow, you, you, y'all are really confused. And so we got, we got asked by Nicole to, you know, essentially apply to Techstars so we can help you out. And so we applied to Techstars and, uh, you know, lo and behold, we actually got into Techstars, which was pretty cool. But uh, the very first night of Techstars, there's this big, you know, dinner and welcome with everybody and, uh, you know, all these things. And it's this four-hour affair. And uh, at the end of it, uh, David Cohen uh, emailed me and said, I'd like to, to see you you three in my office right now. And we're like, oh, no, are we already kicked out of the program? Like, that. <laughs> <laughs> like they made a big mistake, I think. Right. And he just, he just sat us down. He's like, you know, what you guys do is really simple. You turn partial contacts into full contacts and don't screw that up. Right. And we're like, yeah, but turning partial contacts into full contacts, fixing people's address books is really, really freaking hard. He's like, yeah, that's exactly why you should do it because it's really, really hard. And he's like, you know what? And you should just focus on the API first and just be an API company and like let people experiment on your platform. Right. I think there'll be a lot of people interesting in submitting a contact record and getting back a full contact record, you know, at scale. And so we thought about that. And then that conversation kept playing in our mind. 
And then finally we came up with the, the idea, what if we call the company Full Contact, right? <laughs> and so, so it was like, oh, it's like everybody loved it. Like, oh, my goodness, that's an amazing name. Uh, so we went and found the domain name, and it was, I think, $30,000 or something. And at that time, we had, we had managed to raise about $300,000 of angel money. So we spent 10% of it on domain. And we rebranded during Techstars, and we launched Full Contact at Techstars Demo Day as you know, Full Contact, the API that turns partial contacts into full contacts. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And I think that's, re- that's really a crisp explanation of, at the core, what the product does. That's really good. That's a great story, by the way. So thanks for sharing that. I, I want to talk about growth and, and sort of what you guys did to continue to grow the company. And I know that content marketing played a big role for you, but maybe not in a way that some people might expect. Can, can you share a little bit about like what were you doing there and, and how content marketing helped you grow? Yeah. So, you know, early on, you know, we just needed traffic from technical people. And, you know, we tried all these uh, different approaches, you know, PPC, some ads, things like that. This was sort of after we raised our first you know, million and a half in funding, uh, Techstars Demo Day. And, uh, you know, none of it was working. It turns out, you know, a lot of software engineers don't really click on ads <laughs> or follow Google AdWords results or anything like that. And so, I remember having a, a moment. It's one of those moments in your life. And again, this is back to my wife, Sarah. Sarah had written, she had gotten into to blogging a little bit. She had her own blog. She really wasn't super technical, but she started like doing a blog called Domestic Dilettante. And it was about her learnings becoming, learning how to cook and things like that. And she followed this recipe for apple pie baked inside an apple. So it's like this, if you Google it, you'll see photos of this, but it's, you know, it's just, it's just sort of carved out apple that looks like an apple pie on top of the apple. It's, it looks incredible. And she created a blog post about this and uh, posted it out there. And somebody on Pinterest, like captured that photo of her apple pie baked in an apple and posted on Pinterest. And this apparently like, Pinterest person was a super influencer on Pinterest and they had all sorts of influencers and it got like repinned like a gajillion times. Right. And we were actually off site celebrating her birthday. And she said, I'm getting spammed. Like all these crazy comments are coming on my blog. I'm getting emailed like every three seconds. So a little bit similar to my life hacker moment. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, she's like, yeah, like all these hackers are attacking me. And I like took her, I looked at her email. I'm like, no, no, no. These are actually like, you're getting like actual posts and comments on your post. And I had her log into her WordPress stats and just look at the traffic. She had gotten like a million page views overnight of her blog post. Okay. And it was just incredible. She's like, what, what's this? I don't know how that happened. And like, she's like, she went supernova viral on the internet, like overnight. Okay. I promise I'm getting some of so I was just incredulous that my wife with, you know, 30 minutes of work had created this crazy inbound organic funnel, right? And I, I think she had like eclipsed the number of like page views that I had gotten in a blogging career spanning 10 years, like in one post, right? The, my cumulative traffic, she'd eclipsed by like 100x with one post. 
<laughs> and I was nice. just like, this is insane, right? So I got kind of fired up by it. My ego was a bit bruised, to be honest. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just started thinking like, okay, I'm going to like show her that I can go do a viral thing too. And so what I did is like two days later, I wrote a blog post titled, Don't Grin F Your Users, right? And I posted that on Hacker News and it got voted up to the number one slot for like 24 hours. And it drove insane traffic to our website from uh, developers. And it was all about like customer feedback and user feedback and, and, and that, that life. And I realized, I was like, okay, and I got like, I think like 25,000 impressions or something like that. And I felt like, well, I was like, whoa, that got generated more signups for our API product than anything we'd ever done. And so I continued along that path of creating very controversial, sort of outlandish blog posts. And it turned out those returned a ton of traffic. So we started creating interesting creative things in the company. We, call, we created a policy called uh, paid, paid vacation, which is all about you know, going off the grid, disconnecting, and we pay employees $7,500 to do that. And that went supernova viral, international. I was on every you know, news station imaginable, every major network. Uh, we probably got about $20 million of earned media from that single blog post I, I post on Hacker News that went crazy everywhere. So our content marketing strategy has been hitting home runs and grand slams rather than creating a, a sort of a content farm approach. And uh, that's worked quite well for us. So long story short, that's our, our content marketing approach. So, so far we have Sarah to thank for the idea for the business uh, and, yes. and the growth strategy. Yes. That's right. <laughs> You're a lucky man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So she, she, she deserves absolutely all the credit. <laughs> um, you were also doing a lot of sales, like outbound sales to, to grow the business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that was sort of, you know, my DNA is an engineer turned salesperson and my last business I had, um, you know, done a lot of enterprise sales within technical arenas. So, you know, I just went out and started talking to people and talking to the people who signed up for a key. And then also just reaching out to other technical founders in the Techstars network and in the community saying, Hey, you should really bake our stuff in and pitching them almost as a meta product manager of saying, yeah, here's your product, but here's your product with full contact baked inside. What do you think of that? And, you know, I sold the first 20 or 25K of MRR personally to kind of prove to myself that it was possible. And then from there, we, we hired, a, you know, my first VP of sales. And, and we started scaling from there of just literally outbound, uh, cold prospecting product people, founders of tech startups, and uh, convincing them to bake our capabilities into their product. Okay. So when you were doing the outbound sales you talked about kind of working your network and other tech star founders and so on, but that alone couldn't have got you to the 2025 K MRR or did it? Yeah. That's what got us there. And so, you know, $250, $100,000 of MRR at a time trying to figure out what the value was for their, our product inside of their, in their stack. And then what were you doing to, were you just kind of emailing these people out of the blue or like, yep. I was emailing people out of the blue and uh, we had sort of built a little bit of a reputation with that brand air cover on, um, you know, Hacker News. And uh, yeah, just sort of, t I was I was literally pasting in screenshots of, 
Here's your product without full contact. Here's your product with full contact and creating mock-ups. Wow. And, and how long did it take you to get to that 20, 25K MRR? Uh, let's see. That was probably about six months. This was in what, 20, 2011? That's right. Okay. And then once you had your VP of sales on board, was it just doing the same, but at scale? It was a lot of doing the same. It was working inbound API key signups. We started adding a couple different sales reps here and there, learning the ropes. Right? We didn't really understand how the industry was segmented or, or anything like that. But it was a lot of selling the, now what's called the MarTech 5000. When we started, it was the MarTech 150 to give you a, a sense of things. So we actually rode that wave of the, the rise of MarTech and CRMs. How did you figure out who your target customer was? Because in the early days, there was, some, I guess, some you know, some obvious candidates, but sort of beyond that, as you're starting to grow the business um, in the first year or two, like how did you figure out who your ideal customer was? Initially, it was very rudimentary. It was like, how many contacts are in your database? <laughs> so we go, to to <laughs> go talk to Salesforce and like, hey, hey, how many contacts do you guys have across all your databases? It's like, uh, billions? Oh, great, you're a target customer. <laughs> And we were literally just pricing the same regardless of the use case of like, you know, a penny a record so we could do the math really quickly and be like, well, they have 5,000, they have 5 million, let's go after the one with 5 million. And the, the ones with the larger databases were the service providers, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you also acquired, I think it was eight companies. Yep. What type of acquisitions were they? Largely, the acquisitions were centered around IP, data, or people that could accelerate our product roadmap and a lot of small acquisitions. So in our particular space, dealing with contact data, shockingly, it's a really, really challenging space to kind of have perfectly accurate data on everybody on the planet. And a lot of these problems are just like harder than you could possibly imagine that just require multiple years of of work to get it right and in production. And so we required some companies that just helped us along that path here and there. Um, we had figured a way to make a business out of, the, of what we were doing. And so a lot of companies that uh, that sort of had built an interesting feature, but they really need to be part of something larger, we, uh, we snapped into the, the portfolio. And you also learned some, some lessons along the way in terms of acquisitions and, and kind of bringing people on who are the right fit. Yep. Can, can you kind of talk about that and maybe give us an example of, of kind of, you know, what happened and what you learned from that experience? Through the process, me and my co-founder, Travis, are just talking about this, that as a values-driven business, we care deeply about our values. Our number one value is be awesome with people. And we've got a you know, handful of other values, but we actually hire, fire, reward, and recognize people on values. Every Every person who works here, gets assessed on their achievement of the values or not. And we will actually terminate people if they do not behave in accordance with the values consistently. A lot of the acquisitions, we went deep on values and really assessed everybody on the team. And some, we took some shortcuts. And even if somebody's aligned on five of the six values, but not the sixth, that will make a difference. It sounds small, but it becomes a big thing. And it becomes a, a negative culture dynamic. And so, you know, we've missed on a couple times in, in terms of the values of 
both the founders and the, the employee base that we're acquiring. And, you know, the acquisitions haven't, you know, returned what we expected. That said, our approach to acquisitions is not, is far, far more one of a portfolio. Like some acquisitions will be great, some won't work. And we think of it that way, as opposed to every acquisition has to absolutely work. Because the reality is most acquisitions don't work. Yeah, I was just looking at your um, your values. So we're awesome with people. We ship, improve, repeat, open, honest, and constructive. We are customer obsessed. We win and lose as a team, and we've got grit. Yep. So I like all six of those. Like, how did you come up with those? A lot of work, actually. Uh, we're probably this is probably the second rev of our values. We we in twenty. 13, we constructed our first core set. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years ago was the next rev. I actually think the best way to do it is to, once you're a little bit at scale, look at your company and just think about the people in your business and think about if you could replicate them, you could take over the world, right? And think about the characteristics that they have and just write those characteristics down and pick out those people across your org that are just amazing. And then look at all the characteristics and pattern match and look at the intersection of those and say, yeah, this is, this is what we need, more of this. And obviously it has to you know, align with the founders and their, their core values. But it's not something to be taken lightly. I also think it's very useful to think about anti-values. So let me give you an example. You, know, you talk about one of our values is, is customer-obsessed. It's useful to articulate a company that exhibits the anti-value of, the, of anti-customer obsession, which is, you know, maybe I'll pick on a company. Uh, how about Comcast, uh, my favorite cable company? <laughs> um, you know, Comcast, the customer service is awful. I have stories where they bounce me around nine different times, screw up the service calls, everything. They're not customer-oriented and customer-obsessed. And so it's, it's, it, and, and values are not right or wrong for any organization or good or bad. I, I avoid those labels. They're just a signature culture that this company has. You know, if you don't share those values, there's probably another organization that that, that you can share like-minded values with. You know, right. if you compare the values of, uh, say, Facebook in the early days is, is move fast and break things versus Apple's mentality of, you know, perfection, right? Uh, is one right or wrong? No. <laughs> but one works for one culture. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, you talked about like how you came up with them and kind of looking at the attributes of, of people that you had working there. Was this shaped by the people that you had hired initially or was this shaped by you as a founder and the things that you value the most about building and run, you know, running a business? Yeah, more the latter in the early stages. It's, it's about the founders, plural, and the core values they share. I mean, my my co-founders for 20 years, right? So there's certain shared values that have brought us together and it's really about getting those in writing and the do's and don'ts are in that value. Uh, I think that the people you hire <laughs> tend to have the early people you hire, especially tend to share those values. Yeah. And uh, now it's probably even more important that you've gone from three founders to what, 250 odd employees now? That's right. So yeah. a whole whole different set of challenges to deal with. Yeah, and, and we've, we've especially with three offices internationally, um, there may be different values in the cultures, right, in different countries around the world. 
But people have remarked that they actually feel when they go from office to office, they still feel at home at full contact. Like the people component is still there. Where are your other offices? Uh, we have an office in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. We have an office in Riga, Latvia. We have an office in India. Uh, all of them from acquisition. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, th- there's so many cultural differences. And, and you know, obviously, I, I you can tell from my accent that, I'm, I mean, I, I'm in Seattle, but I grew up in England. And uh, I spent a lot of time traveling around Europe and just kind of going from France to Spain, you can have so much difference in culture and, you know, the way people do business or think about business. And, uh, you know, when I was working at Microsoft, there was kind of this culture of you're supposed to speak your mind and, and challenge people's ideas. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it's a, you know, it's a senior vice president or somebody, you still kind of speak your mind about the product or the business or what you think is doing, you know, what you think is the right thing to do for the company. But you're in, if you're in England, it's kind of considered quite rude to do that, you know? Right. So you, you kind of have an interaction with people there where people are kind of sitting more quietly. And, uh, you know, even these little kind of nuances can, can kind of make a huge difference. And then when you have a company across multiple countries, uh, there's a whole, yeah, becomes even more complicated. That's right. That's right. Okay, great. So we have covered a lot. I'd love to keep going and talk more, but uh, we should wrap up and uh, should let you go. So uh, let's get on to the the lightning round, and uh, I'm going to ask you seven questions, and uh, just let's try to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Okay. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? You can't be you if you're trying to be somebody else. Like it. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I would recommend the book, The Obstacle is the Way uh, by Ryan Holiday. It's about stoicism and uh, uh, the impediment to action. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Grit. Of course, it's one of your values. (laughs) Uh, What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Well, full contact, of course, but uh, (laughs) more importantly, I I tag my contacts using full contact and capture notes about every interaction so that next time I have an interaction, I can actually be a little bit more like my wife. Awesome. Uh, What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, aerospace and rockets. I think like a lot of computer engineers, so I'd love to get involved in doing space startup that would be fun uh what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know i'm a mathlete so i competed at the very top levels of mathematics as a as a teenager uh was quite highly involved competitions domestically wow and that's probably why when we started this conversation you talked about the whole idea of of full rainmaker or full contact being a math problem and uh Yes. That's, that's why it interested you so much. That's right. And uh, finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, golf. Are you good at it? No. <laughs> but it's one of those things you don't have to be good at to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, great. Bart, thanks for joining me. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. And uh, 
kind of you sharing the story of of how you you and your co-founders have sort of taken an idea and turned it into a a business that's doing really well. Thank you, sir. Enjoyed it very much. And if people want to find out more about Full Contact, they can go to fullcontact.com. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, They can just email me, barred at fullcontact.com. I'm pretty good at email. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you all the best. All right. Cheers.